DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. Robbie D'Angelo, what's up, man? How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm great. So uh, we just connected here recently, and um, it's nice to have you on here. And let's, man, let's just jump right into it. I want to want to know more about you and uh, let my audience know, you know, how you got to where you're at, your story, and kind of what you got going on. Bro, let's do it. Let's uh, let's let's jump in the deep end right off the bat. Let's go. Um, so a little bit about my story, uh, geez, I mean, it's, it's such a crazy story. Um, I grew up in athletics my entire life. Um, but I was also known as the fat kid. I was obese most of my adolescence, which really drives everything I do today. But, um, the reason I say that is a lot of what I was dealing with my obesity was mental health issues. And that's what was causing me to overeat and have an emotional eating addiction. And I, I grew up that way my entire life until I was in my early 20s. But what was funny was I, I justified it in my early 20s because I was playing football and I was an offensive lineman. I was over 300 pounds. So that was that was my excuse for eating 10 to 12,000 calories a day. And <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, I tell people that I'm like, what? Um, I, I used to wake up every morning and drink like a 2,500 calorie protein shake. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just nuts. Um, so <clears throat> during college football, I played at the university of Southern Miss um, and I was achieving all this on the field success. I was an all American. I was a finalist for the best center in the country. So I was having this on the field success, but there's like something missing. I was just, yeah, I just, I didn't understand like why I wasn't happy, why I wasn't enjoying this. But really for me, it was just like always the weight, the weight was just bothering me. And I developed some more like just anxiety. And I was like battling anxiety and depression the whole time I was playing college football to the point where I was drinking every weekend. Um, I was dealing with so much pain because of my injuries. I was taking six to eight lower tabs a day just to be able to practice. Mm. It was, it was a crazy cycle that I found myself in playing college football. And I, I think a lot of people don't talk about enough about that these days is kind of the mental health side of athletics because the pressure to perform on top of just like the pain and that, you know, like the discipline you have to have, there's just so much mentally going after for I'm still missing a projected high. No team's gonna take a chance on me because of my rather thick medical history. And I was like, okay, bro, like football's done. Oh, hold on. You can lose the weight now. You no longer have the justification for keeping on the weight. So within the course of a calendar year, I lost about 105 pounds. But what's funny about that is I lost 105 physical pounds. I didn't lose any of the mental weight that was associated with it. And I was still dealing with all the same problems. And I continued dealing with all the same problems until I hit rock bottom in my late twenties. And that's kind of where my real shift into mental fitness really started. Okay. Well, how did you, um, losing that hundred, hundred pounds, how did that work? So what was the layout there? You know, honestly, <laughs> it's not rocket science. Yeah. You go, you go from eating 10 to 12,000 calories a day and then you start eating like a normal human being. Yeah. Um, and I continue to work out. Like I've always, I, I think probably for me, yeah, football games were fun. But the, the most fun I had in football was lifting weights. Yeah. Uh, so I've always enjoyed that end of it. But I just started eating like an old person. The only problem was when I first lost all my weight, no one had ever educated me on nutrition, right? Like so many of us, we have no clue what good nutrition is versus bad nutrition. The only thing I was ever told about nutrition growing up because of football was eat as much as you can of whatever you can. Yeah. Like whole, whole jars of peanut butter. I even had a, I even had a strength conditioning coach tell me one time, like, bro, like you need to switch from Bud Light to Bud Heavy. Just get the calories in. Yeah. So like just the craziest <laughs> nutrition advice. Um, so when I first lost all my weight, I went from eating 10 to 12,000 calories a day down to like 2000 and completely destroyed my metabolism and the yeah. process. And I've actually had to like rebuild that over the years. Um, but you know, weight loss isn't, isn't a complicated thing. It's just a consistency thing. Yeah. And that's the part most people struggle with. Well, that was my, that was my, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that was my question is like eating that much. How did you, how are you able to like, that's so hard for people consuming that much and making a, a complete shift, you know, to literally eating a fourth of what you were eating every day. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but here's, I'll tell you this, this is, this is what made the transition 
easier. I went from one extreme to the other is what yeah. I did. If you've ever gone to a buffet and left and just felt miserable and wanted to go home and get into a food coma, like just think about that feeling for a second. Now imagine feeling that way four to five times a day. Yeah. That's how I was playing college football and still expected to perform at a high level, even though I just want to be in a food coma all the time. So I was miserable eating that much. Yeah. And then I went to the other extreme and yeah, it would look, I'm not going to lie. Like it was hard um, because I, I knew I had to be disciplined. I knew I couldn't give in to all my urges and all my emotional eating addiction, which I completely still had. Um, but my, my want to lose the weight outweighed my urges and outweighed my emotions at that point. I was, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I think I'm gifted with is like a crazy level of perseverance at times. And just, just like, once I get my head wrapped around a mission, there is no, there's no quit. Um, and that's kind of the way that I looked at that goal was no, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds. Like there's no if, ands or buts about it. It's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, so <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's something that, um, you know, most people it's, it's always interesting because like the, usually whenever you make that shift, it's, it seems like the hardest thing, but it's always the simple, you know, the simple things that make that transition easier. Right. Like <laughs> it really is. I have, I have one client right now and it, it's, it look, it's so much damn mental. I have one client right now. Like I don't do weight loss coaching. I don't do health coaching anymore. I really strictly focus on the mind. Yeah. But part of getting people to their highest mental state is improving their physical capacity, right? We have to have a battery that we can use for our brain. So one of my female clients need to lose some weight. I literally, the advice I gave her in January, it's now April. The advice I gave her in January was, Hey, go for a 10 minute walk a day. Just start your day with a 10 minute walk. And that she was like blown away. That was my weight loss advice. <laughs> well, what happened was just to tell you how much mental it is. She started going on that 10 minute walk first thing in the day. And that set her up to make better choices throughout the day. Yeah. And just by doing that, you know, three months later, she's lost 15 pounds and is feeling more confident in herself. And it's, it's just, it's so mental once you flip that switch, because confidence is built on momentum. So you make one good decision and you're like, okay, I really can do this. And you make another good decision and then another good decision. And I would say one of the biggest things is when you do make the bad decisions, just course correct it with a good decision. Yeah. Like don't make a bad decision and compound that bad decision. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Usually, it's like snowballs, you know, it's either, one way or the other. either you can snowball a positive way or a negative way. Exactly. Let's circle, circle back to, to your mental state. So you said you worked on the physical and then it was, you know, you still hadn't figured out the mental stuff yet. So where do we get in there? Yeah, this is a, this is a fun part of my story. Um, so I was in my late twenties and I, I was living the quote unquote, the American dream, right? I was doing everything my parents and society wanted me to do. I had a, I had a good job in financial services. I, uh, I was engaged to the love of my life. Yeah. Um, I was uh, about to buy a house. We were about to buy a house together. So I was doing all the things, right? And then within the course of a three-month period, I found that my business partner was stealing money, left me dead broke. My fiance and I called it quits a week before the wedding. Everything was already paid for. And about a month after that, my apartment that I was living in at the time uh, got broke into and everything I owned got stolen. (laughs) So within the the course of a three-month period, I'm dead broke, single, and have I'm basically homeless. I was like, oh, okay. I was like 28 at the time, having to move back in with my parents. Talking about rock bottom, it was miserable. Like I literally had to move back into the room that I lived in as a child. Yeah. And when I tell you that I went into a dark depression, oh, bro, it hit me hard. And it hit me hard because I couldn't shake the feeling of being a loser. I couldn't shake the feeling of, bro, you're just, you're just like, no matter what you try, you fail at everything. You're just not good enough. And that was like, it hit me hard. And I literally, of course I was dead broke. So I got the first job that I knew I could make immediate money and keep in mind, like I'm not a natural salesman. I'm an introvert. So I got a job selling cars, Oh man! but I, 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 oh, oh, completely unaligned with everything that was inside of me. But I knew like, if I just hustle, and if I just do the numbers of talking to as many people as possible, I can at least make money. Yeah. 
And I did like, I think I made like almost 80 grand my first 10 months in selling cars. Um, so like I'm in this deep, dark depression for about nine months to the point where at the end I was suicidal. I was, I was in a job that I completely a hundred percent hated. Um, I mean, no, no offense, any car salesman out there, but your, your job as a car salesman, like you make the spread on the margin between what it costs and what you can sell it for. Yeah. That's what you make money on. So when the customer asks you, is this the best you could do? Yes, it is. Yeah. Cause I need to, I need to make money. <laughs> um, so I, I was in a job that I hated. I was completely lonely in life because when you go into depression, you don't want to be around anybody. You don't want to talk to anybody. Like you just want to be in your little hole and die. So I was just like in this really, really dark place. And that feeling of being a loser just was a story I was telling myself every single day until at the end of that period, I had a really good day at work. And I I say good day at work. It wasn't a fulfilling day. It was a good money day. I I did. I did a hat trick, which in the car business is selling three cars in a day. Um, I think I made like almost like four grand like that day. I'm like, I got a little uptick in dopamine, right? Like a little, little happy feeling. And I go home that night. I'm like, you know, I want to go be social. I, I want to hang out with some people. And I, I pick up my phone. I start scrolling through my phone. I'm like, oh, I don't have any friends left. Like I've told everyone in my life no so many times. I don't even have any friends left. And like now, like, geez, you bro, you are a loser. Like you don't even have any friends. Like that's bad. I grabbed a bottle of lore tabs, which after six knee surgeries and callous injuries, I had a plethora of painkillers, um, and I, I never really took them after the surgery. I just, they kind of sat in my medicine cabinet. So I went and grabbed a full bottle, and I was like, you know, this is probably the easiest way to go. I can just down these, fall asleep, and I'm out. So I'm sitting there in bed. I made myself a drink, and I've got a bottle of Lord Tabs, and I was such a loser. I couldn't even do that, right? I didn't even have the confidence to do that. But what hit me as I'm laying there was like, man, you've been a college football American. You've, you've done some pretty amazing things in life. Like when, when you weren't at this point, like, you know, you had friends, you've, you've just, you've done a lot. Life is more than working 70 to 90 hours a week, coming home, watching Netflix and going to bed. Cause that was the life I was living. I was like, God, there's gotta be more to life than this. And I like at that point, when I, when I said that a book that I read in my early twenties, just like magically popped up in my head. And one of those chapters in that book was talking about all of man's unused gifts that when they don't live up to their potential and when they don't go for it in life, they just leave all these gifts there that are unused. And I'm like, man, like, I know I have some gifts to give to the world. Like I'd, I'd been coaching on the side and I'd helped a lot of people lose a lot of weight. So like, I, I knew like I wanted to help people. I, I knew I wanted to do something. So I'm like, okay, I went and flushed the lower tabs down the toilet. And I just said, you, you, you got to like do something. So I, I made the commitment to start going back to the gym, right? Like you fix your physical body. Um, that's always been your solution. To all your problems. Um, I always used to create this like if then scenario in my head, which is total stupid. If I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. Because yeah. I was depressed. I put on like 40 pounds. Um, I looked terrible. So I started going to the gym and then I just made the commitment to myself, like, just show up, bro. Just show up. You, you, like as long as you walk in the door, that's a W. That's a win. You don't even have to work out, just walk to the door. So I started doing that consistently. And then I started working out a little bit. I started working out a little harder. Then I cleaned up my diet. And then I started listening to some of the OGs in the personal growth space, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Earl Nightingale. I started like going down the rabbit hole of personal growth. And I just started to build this once again, confidence in myself, like this momentum confidence. And I, I, I was like, okay, let's get a new job. Like you hate selling cars, get a new job. So I got a job in commercial real estate. So I'm, I'm, I'm slowly improving things. And it was so funny. Like I went through that nine month depression. 
And then I started like literally crawling my way out of the dark. Like I was just barely making any steps at all. And then a few months later, after I got a new job, you know, and the new job was from where I'd come from. It was good. Like I had a great job, company car, full benefits, blah, blah, blah. And I was driving home in my car one day and I was listening. I, I forgot what was on, but it was a comedy station on XM radio. And I, I found myself in my car by myself, driving home, laughing out loud. And it hit me so strong because if you've ever been in a depressed state, laughing doesn't exist. There's barely even a smile. And when it, when you do smile, it's often fake. So I'm, I went from like that extreme to laughing in my car by myself. I'm like, oh, hold on. You're happy again. Like, this is it, bro. Like, you, you, you've done some work. And you found yourself again, like you're happy again. And part of that journey, I'll be honest, one of my friends at the time um, that I was doing a lot of work with commercial real estate, he gave me a piece of advice that I absolutely didn't understand and hated when he first gave it to me. But he knew where I was at because he'd been through a similar situation. He goes, look, I know you don't want to hear this, but you need to go be selfish. And I'm like, who? What? Selfish? What are you talking about? I'm not a selfish person. He goes, no, you need to go be selfish for a little while. And what he meant was, you need to go take care of yourself. Yeah. You need to go make yourself happy. You need to go do, do some things for you. And I started, and that's like, that's what led me to that journey. And I made the commitment that day to never lose this person again, no matter what external variables going on, never lose this person again. And that's when my real kind of journey into personal growth, self-awareness and really mental fitness started. Okay. Whoa. Got you. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to process all that right now. Well, well, I mean, there's so much to that. So um, first part that stands out to me is you looking back, um, you were looking back on your life and saying, I've already done all these things and now I'm in this black hole. A lot of people have similar situations that they can never figure out how to work back out of it. They look back on their past and they say, I've done all these great things, but now I'm this person. And they let that just eat away at them forever. So um, what's your take on that? Yeah. So your brain, your brain is a story creating machine. Like it loves to give meaning to things and you're either going to be proactive in that process or reactive in that process. So that being said, the other piece of that puzzle is if we look at neuroscience, <clears throat> your brain's number one job is survival. That's its only job. Your brain is built for survival. So it doesn't care about you thriving at all. It just cares about you surviving. And the reason I say that is this is why that's important. Your brain is going to hold on to negative information seven times stronger than positive information. Why? Because negative information it perceives as a threat to its survival. Positive, positive is not a threat. So it's not really worried about it. It's not as strong because it's not going to harm you. It's not going to kill you. But negatives in your life, anything that you just perceive as a negative, it doesn't have to be negative. You just perceive it as a negative. It's going to associate that seven times stronger. So it's giving more meaning to negative in your life. <clears throat> and most people just live in that reactive zone of, oh, this is negative. I'm going to give it seven times more meaning. And that's going to be my story. <clears throat> Living in a positive story requires you to actually work on that. Yeah. It requires to, you to actually practice you know, affirmations or storytelling or CBT, or like there's so many tools for that meditation, but it actually requires you like putting yourself in that story and writing that story just as opposed to being a victim to the story your brain wants to naturally create. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think that the, the hardest thing for most people is to figure out what that switch is, you know, because there's been a million stories and, you know, just one like yours and, and, and so many people who've made complete transformations is there was that breaking point. And when did they decide that, you know, and that's the always the hardest thing for people. It's like they either have to get down to their lowest point before they can make a change or sometimes it just swallows them, you know. Right. There's actually a lot of studies coming out now. Um, we've all heard of PTSD, yeah. right, which is something traumatic happens and your brain associates a very negative emotional response to it. But there's a lot of research now coming out about post-traumatic growth. So in a traumatic incident, it can be something severe. It can be something small, but it's your perception of that trauma 
that determines which trajectory you then go on, which is why I, I try to focus, you know, have um, <clears throat> there's you've always heard the term paranoid. Yeah. There's actually another term called pronoia, which is the exact opposite. Paranoid is the world's out to get me. Right. Pronoia is the world. The world and the universe is working in my favor. And I just choose to be pronoia with how I see the world. And that's why trauma to me, sometimes, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a man, I'm hardheaded and trauma is always where I grow the most because it's that strong emotional incident in my life. It's like, oh, I need to change. And I choose to grow from that versus suffer from that. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I think that I'm, I'm in that position now. Um, looking back on all the negative energy that, you know, I basically entertained for so long and I didn't realize it was weighing me down until I started taking away things slowly out of my, you know, network or my life or what I was doing, my sphere, basically, that I started to see more, you know, I was still being successful, still doing things great, you know, doing businesses growing, stuff like that. But there's still a void there and taking those negative items out and mainly as a people, man. Um, so I definitely want to hear your take on that because I know we all hear the same cliche thing. Like you got to be around people who bring you up and not down, but it's so hard for people to get those negative people out of their life. So once again, your brain is built for safety, right? Yeah. Part of safety is comfort. Your brain loves the known familiar versus the unknown unfamiliar. So even though someone in your life is toxic, we, we don't let it register as, to as toxic as it really is because it's the known comfortable, right? And making a new friend or getting rid of that toxic friend is unknown, unfamiliar. So yeah. our brain doesn't like it, even though it's terrible for us. So what I did, and actually one of my friends last year, <laughs> he was joking with me, um, but he was kind of serious at the same time. He goes, Robbie, you have, you have probably the hardest boundaries of anyone I've ever been around. And I was like, look, bro, I, I love protecting my mental health. And I like, I'm so quick that when someone's negative in my life, I'm like, okay, look, I love you, but I'm not going to be around you. Yeah. Right. If you choose to change, we can readdress this, but until then I can't be around this and setting those boundaries where you're still loving on people. You're still being good to people. Like most people think boundaries are just this negative thing, but you can still love on people and just choose not to be around them. Yeah. Um, but setting those boundaries of only choosing to be around people that make you better, only choosing to be around people that feed you energy versus always stealing your energy is one of the biggest game-changing shifts you will do in your life. Um, and we know this now, like there used to be a lot of woo-woo science around like, oh, I just, I think we're on the same vibe. Or, oh, we just have a similar energy. That was a lot of woo-woo science. But now with technology, we can actually measure the vibrational frequency between two people. And when two people are aligned in conversation, they actually come online at the same brain wavelength. So now science is actually proving woo-woo to be true. Okay. So literally, if you want to raise your vibe, which used to be woo-woo language, if you want to raise your vibe, get around people that are vibrating higher. Yeah. And then oftentimes you got to choose to be the thermostat in that as well. Like I'm going to control the temperature of the room. I'm not going to let other people dictate that for me. Yeah. No. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that was I uh, I didn't know that was a thing. I haven't looked at any studies on that yet or anything, but um, I do know that the hardest, it seems like the hardest people to, you know, friends is one thing. The hardest people, um, hardest thing people have is getting rid of family and, you know, that spouse or that significant other. Yes. Um, and, you know, whenever they figure that out, you know, it seems to be a game changer when you, you know, cause it's like one of those, or especially with family, like you don't choose your family, right. But you can choose how much, you know, they negative negatively impact you. But sometimes you feel like you have to entertain that because they're related to you. Right. And that that's a big issue. I see a lot, you know, having conversations with people and people, you know, are insecure about letting those things go. Yeah, we're, we're, we're almost like in a sense of obligation yeah. because they're our family, yeah. especially um, I have, I've had a few clients, even one right now, um, very, very negative parents. Like she knows her parents love her, but at the same time, like every time she's around them and look, I get this, I've been this 
in this situation for two. It's just negative news, negative health, just like constant negative vomiting. And what I what I have to remind people is like, yes, I get it. You love your parents. You want to be there for them. You can do that and still protect your mental health at the same time because your job is to be love and express love and to give love. Your level of love and mental health is only determined by your internal circumstances, yeah. not your external circumstances. Yeah. And at the same time, look, I limit, I have some family members like that too. And I just limit my exposure to them. Um, it, it got to the point one time <clears throat> I would only go visit my dad when there was a football game on. Yeah. Because I knew we could talk about football. <laughs> I knew he wouldn't talk about politics. Yeah. I knew he wouldn't talk about all this health crap going on. Like I knew that we could just like be happy, talk about football and like enjoy just being each other's presence without all the negativity. So there, there's like little tricks like that you can do. Um, or like, you know, sometimes I'll be like, okay, Hey, whoo, not talking about that. Like, let's, let's, let's get back to talk about something positive. Like, I love you. Let's talk about something positive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that those things that, you know, people, the people that deal with, and like you said, it's, it's an internal thing. They have to make that internal switch and, you know, cause you can control the external, you have to be able to, you know, you cannot be around those people or you can make decisions and maneuver different directions on how you deal with that. So 100%. taking, taking all this into account of what you've been through and, you know, make, making your, you know, switch and mindset and what you're doing, explain to me more what you got going on now. Yeah. So my, uh, my main job, I guess you want to call it. Like I, I don't, I work for myself. Yeah, um, yeah. but I, I love coaching. Like that's one-on-one deep transformational coaching is kind of where I've fallen into my area of most fulfillment. I've done business consulting. I've, consulted with gyms. I've owned a gym. Um, I've done a ton of different consulting for businesses. But what I love is, I, I was talking to my coaching friends the other day, I love living for people's light bulb moments. And what I mean by that is when you see someone have an internal awakening or an internal paradigm shift where personal growth actually takes a hold and makes a change in them, and they feel the outcome of that. And they're like, oh, this is how this works. Or, oh, wow, like I made it to that situation. It wasn't as bad as I thought. That's what I live for, man. Um, so I, I do this program called Undeniable. Um, it's becoming undeniable. And I teach people how to have this undeniable mindset where no matter what situation you show up in, no matter what variable is going on in your life, you are undeniable in your opportunity for success. You are undeniable to those around you. Um, you're undeniable to your spouse. You're undeniable to your kids. You're undeniable to your boss, your clients. And it's really just an internal mindset shift of bringing so much damn value to the world, becoming a person of value <clears throat> that no matter where you're at, people are magnetized to you. Opportunities are magnetized to you. It takes a lot of work, but at the end of the day, it's a thousand percent worth it. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, you seem like to be extremely authentic, you know, in, in your message and what you're doing. And also because you've been through the things that you're coaching people on. Like I get so tired of seeing these quote unquote coaches everywhere who have no life experience. Like you can't be, I'm sorry, but you can't be 18 years old and be a coach. You know what I mean? Like I understand you want to have some type of positive influence on someone, but you have to pick your lane. You know, you have to do the time you have to, I mean, you have to go through things before you can coach someone on how to deal with going through things. And I do think that you seem to be extremely authentic and, and just the amount of science we've talked about in this short amount of time already. It's like, okay, well, this dude has done his research and he knows what he's talking about. And um, honestly, you're talking way more than than I am because you you know what you're talking about. Like typically, a lot of times I seem to be overrunning my guests, <laughs> interrupting them in all types of you know, like well, what about this? What about that? What about that? But honestly, dude, everything you're saying seems to be like on point. So I just <laughs> I want to hear more. Um, there, there's a coaching philosophy that I kind of live by: is you can't take clients deeper than you've gone yourself. <clears throat> yeah. So I've I've gone through coaching. I, look, 
right now in my life, I have three coaches. <laughs> so it's not only something I do for other people, it's something I practice. Um, like I had a two hour conversation with my own like energy mindset coach this week. <clears throat> I've got a call with my business coach tomorrow. Um, I talked to my bodybuilding coach yesterday. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's something I believe in. It's something I practice, <clears throat> but probably my number one core value that I live by is personal integrity. And it took me a long time to come to that place because personal integrity is not the easiest thing to do. We all know what integrity is. Integrity is just upholding your word, but personal integrity is upholding your word to yourself, <clears throat> doing the things that you say you're going to do. And that also involves practicing what you preach. Like literally <clears throat> it's so funny. Like my bed is over here and like, these, these are the books that I'm reading right now. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I practice everything that I preach. My, my journal that I give my clients is right here on my desk. Um, I, I practice everything that I preach because I'm never going to ask someone to do something that I can't do for myself. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, that philosophy started when I started health coaching and I was like, okay, well, my client, like my client wants to do vegan. I have no clue how to do vegan. I probably <laughs> never would, but hell, I'll try it with them. Yeah. Um, and I would do like 30 days just to understand how it works and understand the application of it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not like I'll coach you on it because I, yeah. I, I practiced it, but it ain't for me. Um, so like I, I, I just firmly believe in personal integrity to the point where even if my clients ask me something, I'll tell them like, hold on. I don't know the best answer for that but I promise you next week I will. And I, I think you can kind of tell now, like I'm, I'm a research nerd yeah. and I'm totally because of my passion for helping people because of the shit I've been through in my life and the darkness I've been through in my life, I'm extremely passionate about helping other people. And I just, I firmly believe that a big part of that is becoming like having the tools in your toolbox. Um, you know, this with like MMA, the more, the more modalities of combat you can practice, the more well-rounded and better you're going to be in the octagon or the ring or wherever you choose to fight. Um, so that's the way I am with my coaching business is I'm going to study all the practices. I'm going to study everything from neuroscience, neuro-linguistic programming, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like I'm going to study it all because I never know where people are at and what tools in my tool belt I need to use to help them but I have to practice them on myself first. Like that's, yeah. there's, there's like different kinds of knowing and the highest form of knowing is you practice it on yourself, you implement it, and then you become a master of doing it for yourself. So you can teach other people. Like you can't teach any type of combat training unless you've been in combat yourself. Right. Right. Um, so that's just, that's just kind of one of my core beliefs that I stand by. What, um, what's your take on, um, medication, like people taking antidepressants and stuff like that? So I've done a lot of work, um, in mental health. I used to be on the, um, mental health association, executive board of directors. I believe that they're highly overprescribed. Um, but at the same time, for some people there, they should be used as a bridge. Yeah. Um, we have a problem in America really around the world right now. We're addicted to immediate gratification. Oh, yes. I'm glad you brought it up. Great. <laughs> we, it's not we, something that happens overnight, no matter what it is. Nothing, nothing good happens with you just taking a pill. Yeah. And I, I, I'll call it a bridge because there are some people with like a serious chemical imbalance, whether it be due to their physical health, their mental health, or just something they're born with. There are people with a serious chemical imbalance that need those chemicals adjusted so you can do the work. Yeah. Right. It's never a substitute for the work. And that's where our society is having trouble with it right now is they're using medication as a substitute for the work. Um, there's so much damn science on most depression is actually your, your physical body is unhealthy. Yeah. You know this, like I'll give people a perfect example. When you're exhausted like if you've had a busy, busy week and you're exhausted on the weekend and you're just like in a brain fog state, you're tired, you just can't think clearly, how happy are you? You're right? not, man. No. Yeah. 
you're not, you're not, you're, you're almost in a, in like a physical state of depression because your body's just tired. So imagine being tired 24, seven, seven days a week. You're going to feel like you're depressed when actually maybe your body just needs some rest or maybe you need to quit eating crappy food. Maybe you actually need to exercise and get off your butt. Yeah. Maybe thought about this, maybe quit watching murder documentaries 24 <laughs> seven. Maybe quit watching the real wives of Orange County and all their drama 24 yeah. seven. Like you, no matter what you take in, you're going to project it. I mean, you just subconsciously, you're going to project it without even knowing you're doing it. hundred um, percent. So much of like what I teach people is their mental diet. We, we've all like figured out macros and a physical diet. But what are your macros and your mental diet? Right. If you're consuming, like we talked about negative information is seven times more powerful than positive. So what is, what is your macro ratio and your mental diet? What does that look like? Yeah. And you can't be constantly consuming negativity and drama and toxic things and not expect that to be the part of your life you project out into the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like uh, you look at anyone that, you know, any type of drama that goes on on social media, of course, someone puts a positive picture up. It's great. It gets a little bit of reaction. But once you put something up negative, any type of negative message, everyone wants to chime in. It gets so much. It bleeds, it leads. Yeah. It's something that, you know, it's it's just something that we 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 don't realize we're doing it until someone calls us out on our shit. Like, right. You know, we just don't realize, like, you're being an asshole. Well, why am I being an asshole? Is it because uh, why am I in a or my thing is like, I had such a bad day today. I'm in a bad mood. When people say that, I'm like, well, why? Why are you in a bad mood? You know, why are you why are you? projecting all this negative energy is it because you're it's most of the time it's because you're unhappy because of all types of variants right <laughs> yeah like for most people like i i think one of the biggest problems i'm seeing right now as a whole is i, I love asking people what they want in life like what's your mission very few people can give me their personal mission statement do they put it on someone else do they attach someone else to it if they do give you something? I feel like that would be a, a common answer. Like I'm doing this for so-and-so, you know, or whatever. I would argue to say they don't even think that deeply okay. about it. Um, they just like, well, I mean, I've got a good job. I've got a wife and two kids. I'm, I'm paying my bills. Like they, they tell me the things they're doing. Yeah. I'm like, cool. I get it. That's what you're doing. But what's it all for? Like, what's your end of life mission? What, why, why are you here? And um, we have a real meaning crisis in the world right now, a, a real meaning to why we're living life, um, which is why you see such ideologies part, popping up right now. People are searching for meaning, and it's because they're not living on a mission. I, I firmly believe that you need a dragon to slay in life, right? Um the, the the expression I love this expression the the treasure you seek is often in the cave you fear the most yeah and we we need this dragon that we that we fear to go slay we need to be living on that mission that's what helps us wake up every morning that's what gives us purpose that's what's help that's what helps us fight through the hard times if if you're not living on a mission and something hard comes your way why would you keep going why wouldn't you just look for an immediate fix why why would you get better if you don't know what you're living for. Yeah. No, I mean, that's something that it's, it's not brought up enough, right? This is not something that's not discussed enough. Like, but a lot of, well, here's the thing. How do they find that meaning? How do they figure out what they're, what they're chasing? You know, would it be their goals, their dreams, or something to overcome, you know, or a certain achievement? My favorite way is it's almost like a diagnostic tool. So I, I tell, especially young people, I do a lot of work in college, um, college kids. I'm like, you need to go try a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the best things I ever did in life was I said yes to, I couldn't say yes anymore. And I, I look, I was a personal chef at one point. I owned a meal prep company. I've done business consulting. I've done financial services. I've sold cars. Like I've, I've a personal trainer I've done, I've lived many lives. Because I just said yes until I couldn't say yes anymore. By doing all those things, I learned. And when I say the diagnostic tool part of that is, okay, what gives you energy? What steals your energy? And just think about it, like every situation in your life, it's either giving you energy or stealing energy. Yeah. And if you can become more consciously aware 
of just that one diagnostic tool, it kind of starts steering the GPS for you. And you can start leaning into what gives you more energy. And as you lean into that, if you start doing more things in that area, it'll become more narrow, narrow as you're leaning in that area. Um, But so many people live in such a constant state of fear and scarcity. They're scared to try anything new. They're really, really scared to be bad at anything um, because that whole pride and ego. But if you would just do as much as you possibly can while you're young, and look, I say young, um, I I see old people that live that are living the same way. Like the midlife crisis, part of the midlife crisis is searching for meaning again. Yeah, Um, I mean, you you talk to people that are you know in their 80s or 90s that live on so they're living with so much regret of not doing things when they were able to. Like, I don't want to be that person, man. I don't want to be that person that said, well, I could have done this, but I didn't because of this, you know, blaming my shortcomings on something else other than my own, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. I'll I'll give you one insight that has really become profound to me in the last two years of my coaching. Everything that we do in life is for relationships. And here's what I mean. I'll give you a little bit of science first. If we look at the blue zones around the world, blue zones are areas around the world where people have lived the longest. Yeah. They're like, why the hell are these people in these areas living the longest? They looked at diet, they looked at nutrition, they looked at exercise, they looked at so many factors. The only common factor between every blue zone was tribe and community, relationships. So if we know that's core to our human existence and core to our longevity, that's that would make sense that, okay, that needs to be a focus. And if we look back, I'm, I'm a huge history guy. <clears throat> if we look back at history, most of the great wars, most of the people in power were doing it for relationships, whether we qualify that relationship as power and sex um, whether we qualify it as like Helen of Troy, love, um, whether we qualify it as so many different things, so many of the greatest people in history have done things because of relationships. I, I think that if we would understand that that's one of the most powerful drivers in our life, and if we could form healthier, better relationships, just with friends, with our community, with people across the table that disagree with us, mm. um, our intimate relationships, if we can form better relationships, we'll also understand like how our purpose is meant to serve that. Yeah. Well, that circles back to answer. You, you've answered my question in 10 different ways earlier, which was well, how do people find that? And yeah, I mean, find their meaning or f- figure out what it is. And I mean, all of those, literally everything you said will direct someone <laughs> down that narrow path to figure out what's important in their life and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, one of my, one of my like kind of slogans is actualize and transcend. And I, I kind of think this is why we're here, but this is my personal opinion. I, and I take it from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, not his original hierarchy. Um, he, when he originally published his hierarchy of needs, it was, you know, base survival, take care of your food, water, shelter, yeah. And then, you know, find relationships and then start making money, like start thriving, become an abundance. And the top of his original pyramid was self-actualization, which is you becoming the best version of yourself. And I completely agree. That is a part of the equation is you becoming the best version of yourself. And the best version of yourself isn't a definition of, of money. It's not a de- definition of possessions. It's all those intangibles. Um, it's, it's love. It's relationships. It's your peace. It's your abundance. It's it's those things. But what he realized was once we self-actualize, that's almost a selfish pursuit because it's all about us. And he published this research. And what he realized was, wow, something's missing. Like, this is cool. And people are getting something from this. But before he died, he actually revised the pyramid. And now the top level of the pyramid is self-transcendence. And what he meant by that was you become the best version of yourself so you can then help others become the best version of themselves. One of the questions I always ask like clients when I first start working with them is <clears throat> if money and time weren't an issue, what would you be doing? What would you be doing with all your time, energy, and effort? A lot of and people after, don't know what to, I'm sure don't know how to answer that. 
<laughs> well, they, they always give me the joke at first. Oh, I'd be sitting on an island drinking a yeah, beer. Yeah, right, right. Um, I'd be fishing. I'd be playing golf. I'm like, no, you'll get bored of that like after yeah, a week. That, you can only do that so long. You can only do that so long. So finally, when I get to the real answer, it's always tied to something about helping other people. It's always tied to, you know, I'd be doing this nonprofit or I'd be giving back here. or I'd be helping this person with that. That is one of the deepest levels of human fulfillment you will ever experience is when you're in the service of other people. Um, I, I, I give this advice sometimes. If you're ever struggling with depression, the first thing you need to do besides make your bed and work out is, <laughs> is go to a soup kitchen, go to an old folks home, go serve someone else, get, get outside of your own ego, go help someone else. And you'll realize how good you really have it. I completely agree. Um, we do a lot of stuff like that around here, a lot of nonprofit work. But the biggest thing about that is when you go to do it, go do it for them. Don't do it for a picture on social media to get rec fake ass recognition to act like you're, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like, yeah. that, it's a balance of uh, selfishness and selflessness that people just can't seem to iron down. I mean, I know that's, you know, you can take that in all different directions and run with it, but that's what you were saying. You know, like, you know, you have to work on yourself before you're able to be selfless. 100%. You have to take it back down to, okay, what, what, why am I selfish? Um, or like my selfish needs are like material items and stuff where you take all that away and then bring it back to yourself, like be selfish and work on yourself first. And then you can be a lot more, it's, it's easier to be selfless once you figure it out what, what's your journey, your goal, or, you know, whatever that may be. Yeah, that's, that's why I like Maslow's hierarchy of needs because, like, let's be honest. If you're struggling to pay your bills, you can't help anyone else. You need to right. go help yourself. Yeah. You need to put yourself in a place of safety and security. That's number one priority. But then once you do that, go start helping others. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love like families that volunteer on Christmas to go pass out meals. Yeah. There's so many ways to serve in the community. Um, I know a ton of like foster care um, organizations that are looking for male role models right now because there's not enough of them. There's so many ways to serve. The reason we don't serve enough is too many people are drowning in priorities. Yeah. They're, they're drowning in, I got to pay this bills. I got to go this, you know, Mardi Gras association. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I'm like, no, you don't have to. You're choosing to. Let's yeah. be honest there. You're choosing this. You're, you're choosing the clout. You're choosing this, the, the validation you're getting from your social circle instead of truly what sets your soul on fire, which is going to help people. Yeah, I think if people could just take four or five hours out of their month and replace a night out with friends or partying or something like that to do something like you're talking about, just the, the trickle effect it'll have, you know. 100%. And it's such a, it's such a grounding thing to do. Like everybody in the personal growth space right now is talking about gratitude. Yeah. And gratitude's great. Like it's, it's part of my journaling practice every day, but there is no greater gratitude than experiential gratitude. And what I mean by that is when you go serve or when you go help someone, like one of my favorite activities I used to do all the time, I need to do again, is I would go to McDonald's and I would purchase like 20 or 30 hamburgers. It costs like a dollar a piece. Yeah. And then I'll go, I'll go like pass them out to homeless people. Yeah. Literally for like a couple of hours and 20, 30 bucks, you just fed 20 to 30 people and you made a bunch of people happy. And that's experiential gratitude because you're feeling that on a deep down level because you're living it. It's not just some thought in your head. Yeah. Experiential gratitude is it's game changing because it puts you in a state. You're like, okay, I've got problems, but I have first world problems. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, we all do. If we're in this country, we really all do. You know what I mean? Uh, to an extent, for sure. Um, it's just it's grounding ourselves and figuring out what the you know what it is we need to get right in our life. I feel like <laughs> exactly, hundred yeah, percent. Our shit's all twisted, man. Everyone's got a you know a false sense of you know whatever they want to do in life, and then they blame every shortcoming on some someone else. I feel like I I hear that more than anything. Is it's uh, blaming someone else for someone's issues. Like your own issues. I mean, the, the victim mentality kills me Yeah, and I used to live in it. Like my weight loss wasn't my fault. I mean, my weight, my weight gain, my being obese wasn't my fault. My failed business wasn't my fault. It was my business partner's fault. Yeah. You know, like everything was everybody else's fault, but my own. But what happens 
when we're living in that victim mentality where we don't take responsibility for everything, we're giving away our power. Your power is an accepting responsibility for your ability yes. to change your life. And when you're constantly giving that away, you are going to feel powerless. You are going to feel defeated. You are going to feel like a victim because you're like, ain't nothing I can do about it. What, what, I don't understand. But once you take that back and like, okay, I really do have the power to change my life. Now, let me start making empowered decisions to do that. Yeah. God, man, sensory overload today. You start my morning off good, bro. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when you're in a constant state of, uh, you know, operations of, you know, you just like when you're running a business, you're going to have negative curveballs thrown at you every single day. You got to figure out how to, to you got to figure out how to hit them. You just step in, turn, whatever you got to do. But yeah, uh, no, I love it, man. Well, look, um, you do have you have a few books out. Um, yeah. Also, anything you want to plug because we're getting close to an hour here. So I'm going to wrap up in a few. Um, I want to keep going, honestly. <laughs> we're definitely going to we, we, we can do this again here. someday. Yeah, we got to do this again. Um, yeah. So, guys, uh, follow me on social media at Robbie D'Angelo. Um, I've just made a personal commitment to put out a ton more content. Um, like I've, I've got a videographer now and we're, we're, we're doing a lot of filming, putting out a ton of content and there's just like little 30 second to a minute sound bites. Um, so I'm putting out a ton of content every day. Uh, RobbieD'Angelo.com is a website. Um, actually guys, if you want to, I just, uh, uploaded a new ebook, um, to my website. It's uh call to adventure book.com. And it's the call to adventure to me. I, I love the hero's journey. And the call to adventure is when you reach that kind of fork in the road of life of, do I return to my comfort zone or I take on the responsibility and challenge of becoming the best version of myself? And this is actually, it's an ebook slash workbook of how you actually go through the mindset changes to take on that call to adventure and realize your power to create the life you want to have. So if you go to calladventurebook.com, it's actually a free download. Um, so go there, download that, reach out to me on social media, guys. I love talking. I love answering questions. Like this is, this is my passion. This is what I do. Um, I, I love helping people any way I can. So feel free to reach out to me any way you want to. Awesome, man. Well, look, I had a great time today. Like I said, we'll definitely got to schedule a part two. Maybe we'll do the next one in person, man, for sure. I like it. I like it. I'll need some tequila. I'll be in New Orleans later this month. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me up, man. I will. I will. All right.